Bordy. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. What is most wonderful about doing this podcast is the breadth of people we have on. And today's guest grew up living a life as far removed from mine and I imagine many of yours uh, lives as possible. Hands up if you've been lost in the Sahara Desert overnight with only the stars to guide you to safety or been so hungry wandering the Himalayas with your dad that you've had to barter for and then slaughter a live mutton for your evening meal. He's now an internationally acclaimed artist exhibiting all over the world yes it's fair to say that today's guest is pretty fascinating let's give him the full big travel podcast treatment born in tehran the descendant of a nomadic tribe contemporary artist Farouz farman farmayan's family scattered after the islamic revolution from paris to marrakesh and his father's houseboat on a lake in kashmir he grew up trekking mountains and deserts with his father later traveling the world with his indie rock band and now with his internationally acclaimed art he travels the globe working with craftswomen in remote regions. Recently returned from a five-week trek around Kyrgyzstan to research his exhibition Gates of Turan for the Venice Biennale, it's Farouz Farman Farmayan. I am in, uh, in room 304 of a very wonderful art hotel, boutique art hotel called the Athenas Greek Hotel Palace, uh, just over Ammonia Square in um, the old city of Athens. Uh, I have the honor of being the neighbor of, uh, of Mr. Pericles, that was the founder of the city. And uh, uh, coming in from a five-week trek uh, sourcing production trip into Central Asia. Uh, so we just pulled out of Central Asia to Istanbul two days ago. I need to know about this trip, and I think that's a very good place to start. And I also, you're my first ever guest that's actually told me their hotel room. So congratulations and thank you for that. But let's start with the trip, because I spoke to you just before you were going on your trip. We had a, a telephone conversation, and I thought it sounded absolutely incredible. So you've just come back from a five-week trek. Tell us about that. Well, um, it is a trek because uh, it did take us to the highlands of uh, the Kyrgyz Republic uh, that we commonly like to call Kyrgyzstan, uh, which is uh, the border of, uh, of Central Asia. It, it actually borders um, the whole of China on, uh, on, its, on its eastern side. Uh, it's, uh, it's got Kazakhstan on one side, uh, Tajikistan down south, and Uzbekistan down south. So it's a landlocked country, not, um, uh, how to say, it's got common, common uh, points with Switzerland in Europe, as uh, it is a mountainous country. Um, the capital is set at about uh, one, 900 meters on, on the Kazakh plain. But uh, and that's just a minimal fraction of the territory because the whole country basically just takes off into what they call the Tian Shan range uh, that separates it from China. Uh, and, 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 you know, um, it is it is the whole country. It's, it's a mountainous. It's a mountainous volume. And uh, what is beautiful about it uh, is that it through that through the fact that it's a mountainous volume, it has kept it from a lot of invasions, a lot of a lot of sedentarizational processes through the ages and uh, it has for itself uh, a, a, a pristine nomadic tradition that, um, that compared to other cultures uh, is, is, is mostly untouched. So why were you, why were you trekking through these five weeks? You're a, you're a cultural ambassador, I do believe, and also researching your artwork. 
Well, um, yeah, um, I, I could I could use the uh, one of my favorite words uh, is, is 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 to to interweave into interweaving is something that that I like very much because uh, it is it can be metaphoric, it can be cultural, it can be uh, it can be material. Uh, you you interweave uh, ideas uh, that that come together and um, ultimately um, show patterns and and. And in my case, artworks. Uh, so to present myself, yes, I am a contemporary artist that uh, works in what I call um, a pluralist approach, a multivalent approach of uh, cultural interaction. I like to say that uh, it is important in our time and time and age to connect to archaic cultures that sometimes have a lot more to uh, to teach us. Uh, through the prism of contemporary practice, meaning I'm trying to, to find bridges in between millinery traditions and, uh, and future looking uh, technologies, obviously, and, and practices. So um, in this sense, uh, I have been brought to work uh, with different tribes before I started working with, uh, with Kyrgyzstan um, because my father is based in Morocco and I grew up in Morocco after the Iranian revolution. We are an exiled family. Makes me, as I said, when I met the Minister of Culture, Mr. Azamat, uh, in uh, in Bishkek, which is the um, which is the, um, the, the the capital of Kyrgyzstan, uh, very 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 interesting architecture. Uh, the the Soviet uh, brutalist legacy is is just marvelous to see. Um, it's like frozen since the the, the 1991. Uh, all of the wall, and you you have you have this you have this very incredible atmosphere there. But uh, to close this parenthesis, uh, I met with Mr. Azamat, and I said, yes. What what really links me to your culture is that myself having lost my country um, to the Iranian Revolution in 1979 made me uh, a citizen of the world. Meaning, uh, I have a nomadic lifestyle. I I myself uh, travel between cultures, and that basically is. Uh, how to say the matter uh, and uh, the material, the first material I use in, in my artworks. In this sense, uh, in this sense, I, I came up with, uh, with the idea of, of working with a Central Asian uh, country and by a process of, of studying uh, and exploration, uh, Kyrgyzstan, because we say Kyrgyzstan, we can also say Kyrgyzstan um, or the Kyrgyz Republic. Uh, was, became an obvious choice. I mean, uh, they are, uh, as I said earlier, um, a very uh, untouched culture. They have, uh, they had their cultural um, identity was untouched until the arrival of the Russians in the, in the 18th century, uh, which industrialized, industrialized most of the country until the fall of the Soviet bloc, uh, where uh, the country took its independence uh, in the 1990s, right? So, uh, so you have that very, you know, uh, interesting, um, interesting uh, material to study in my sense, and to and to go there and to um, to to approach the Ministry of Culture. To uh, I I came up uh, with my curator, Mrs. Esveva uh, Manfredi Zavaglia, that's uh, a decorated uh, friend and and curator and art. Uh, an art producer from Rome that, that, that's curating the show in view of the Venice Biennale. So that was the whole thing. We came up saying to Kyrgyzstan, why not, why not turn Firuz's idea into your pavilion? And it actually made, uh, made a lot of, uh, lot of impact and uh, it brought us to meet uh, with the government there and uh, have us sign an agreement um, sending me as their cultural ambassador in view of their pavilion uh, in April next year. So what, what did the trek actually involve? When you say trekking, were you walking? How were you traveling? 
Well, uh, we got uh, to the city of Bishkek, which is the capital at first, um, um, advised by a production company, a French production company I know that had just shot a film there uh, regarding the Uyghur situation. And we, we, we were in a very, very nice hotel there. And rapidly, we had to organize our trip uh, into what I call, when I, when I go into uh, the process of exploration and finding the material to create my art, I go in what I call sourcing slash production trips. And that brings us uh, to find uh, a driver uh, to go uh, to the highlands, to the mountains, and go to where uh, the craftswoman, I, I mostly work with craftswoman in this specific case, as I'm also transforming the cupola of a yurt, I also work with the son of a craftswoman that's uh, your master builder. And we basically went in what, uh, in the northern part of Kyrgyzstan, is called uh, the Isikol region, a region in Kyrgyz, which is ancient, ancient Turkic. Uh, it's called an oblast, which is a beautiful name. And so we went into Isikol Oblast and into Narin Oblast that are two regions that are very much touched by uh, the industrial um, letdown that, that happened after the Soviet bloc uh, retired. Because what happened is that these people were the wool makers of all Russia at the time. Just imagine how much jobs were lost when, uh, when they had to move from uh, a cocoa-based system into, into a capitalist system. And I think there were about 20 million heads of modern there that was producing wool uh, in the 1990s. We only have 3 million now. So it just gives you an idea to how much the production of crafts there was touched uh, in, these, in these highlands as I went there. And, uh, and I was there and my job as obviously as an artist, I call it the virtual circle is to, is to, is to highlight uh, these crafts and give them uh, as, as a lot of other countries have um, a thriving or tourism or a crafts industry uh, to help them go forward or modernize uh, their business plan. So uh, I, I, I went towards these uh, different structures along the way because I met structures, what they call co-ops. Uh, and you understand that uh, because of the poverization of, uh, of the craft making uh, in the highlands, in the Isikol region, for instance, a uh, couple of associations that are, um, obviously you have a, a lot of international associations that are trying to fund and help these, uh, these co-ops. And, um, um, and I went towards not only independent uh, weavers, but also towards those uh, ONGs, right? And uh, OGM, what do we call them? Um, you know, a government, a government backed uh, um, you know, production companies that are helping the crafts there. And uh, the UNESCO is also present there that I met too, uh, through the UN. And, uh, and basically the, 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 the most interesting part of the trip, uh, or let's say the most central part of the trip had, had to do with me driving around one of the biggest mountainous lakes in the world uh, called the Isikol Lake that is a dark, very stark, very beautiful in its harshness uh, lake that's uh, about 1.5, 1 1.6 uh, kilometers high, surrounded by the Tian Shan uh, that, uh, that, that are like white peaks surrounding this, uh, this beautiful lake which used to be in the Soviet times, mind this, uh, a torpedo a testing uh, ground for submarines. I learned that as I was going there and the, the first town I got to uh, on the Isikol region is called Karakol. And Karakol is uh, the furthest town you can get up north in, in Kyrgyzstan, uh, which brings you at about 100 and 140 clicks from the Chinese border. 
And Gara uh, means black in ancient Turkic and in, so also in Turkic. And, and, and Kol means the water. So basically uh, the, 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 the black waters uh, in, in old, uh, an old Kyrgyz tradition, uh, an old black, a black stallion is, is the top of, uh, of, of, of nobility. So anything that's related to black is, is, is something very noble. But the town is a frontier town of Karakol, and we got there um, after six hours of, uh, of driving uh, through, uh, through the pass that brings you to Isikol and into the Isikol Lake and following the north side of the lake. And we got there, and Karakol is very let down. It's very broken down. It's really like this, gives you this impression of the far west, broken downtown. But it, funnily enough, has this industry on, on skiing, uh, some of the higher class of Bishkek, Sometimes come there to ski. There's a, a couple of solutions to ski, but the town itself uh, used to be a garrisonal town where uh, the submarine uh, platoon or regiment uh, of the Soviet army used to come to do its testing. So it's it's got this very like industrial slash old uh, nomadic traditions and mixed up there. And we met with uh, with um, with an association uh, that helps weavers all around the lake into a syndicate called the OBOP. Uh, that is backed by the GICA, that means by the Japanese government that has been donating money through an association to help uh, the, the, the craftspeople understand that if they actually work together, uh, they can be able to, for, for instance, uh, that OBOP association, very funnily enough, has a contract with the Muji shops that we all know, you know, and they all, uh, they all, they are creating a handmade, 100% ecological and, uh, and traced uh, felt object. So, Talking of felt now, obviously the number one uh, craft that is developed by women crafts, women, not weavers, but at the end they're, they're craftswomen, uh, they're creating felt, if you understand the creation of, of, the, of, the, of the fabric of felt, which, was, which has become uh, the center of my installation and my artwork. I've been, I've, through these different uh, 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 links with these associations, I was able to go towards the workshop of these craftsmen around the lake and learn how uh, it, how the craft the, the craft has, has developed around felt making the way it is uh, um, turned uh, in, into fabric and the different types of fabric it can be actually produced like it can produce and uh, and most uh, most uh, most obviously interestingly also the way it's colored and uh, and pigmentized and I, I went towards those that are the more organic because obviously you can use a lot of chemicals to create color. Uh, especially when you're not, not that far from China. So basically, that was my process around the island, uh, around the lake. I took I took another drive on the south side that would advise anybody that goes to Isikol region to take the south side of the Isikol lake. That's just a wonderful experience. I mean, you have this blue lake, these mountainous peaks, and those beautiful villages uh, as you go uh, with yurts, you know, everywhere. You, know, you have yaks on the road, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful experience. And that's where uh, the village of Kizil 2, uh, K-Y-Z-Y-L further T-U-U is based, which is what they call uh, the village of the 100 yurt makers. I think it's, it, it's really fascinating. I've never been anywhere like this. So you're painting a, a wonderful picture, but it is fascinating how maybe we in the, in the Western world have become a little bit more 
disconnected to what craft making actually means to society and how it shapes cultures and society and empowers women and other people and, and, and groups of people to to produce things and sell things. You know, we've become a little bit disconnected from that, I think, in, in our culture. So it's really wonderful, you know, to hear um, how you're reconnecting with that. So you ended up, the, the journey, you ended up in Istanbul, ultimately. What was your, what was your route after that? Well, um, that was the end part. Uh, I was in Istanbul, obviously, uh, to meet with uh, some cultural actors uh, at the end of my trip. Uh, very more clearly parallel also projects that are going to lead us uh, with our agency. We got our agency is called the We Are the Nomad Agency that uh, also signed the production of the Biennale Pavilion uh, cultural content creation for the Kyrgyz government. But uh, we are also preparing another show with uh, with the Istanbul Biennale also, also for, for next year. After I went to Kiziltu where I ordered uh, a cupola of a of a, of a yurt to be constructed from my installation, we went to another region called the Narin region. That's uh, that's higher up uh, on the west uh, on the western side of uh, of northern Kyrgyzstan. That's another valley um, on the western edge, say of the of the lake. And uh, there we stayed also in a place called Kushkor, where we we sat down with uh, with another co-op called Atin Kol. Uh, which means literally in English, a golden hands. And uh, that also is a same kind of syndication that unites about a thousand weavers, uh, craftswomen across, uh, across the Narin region around a stabilization of prices of wool and such things. And I basically um, signed an agreement with them to produce uh, uh, about 20, 25 artworks for me. So after that, we had to go back to Bishkek and uh, we went back to Bishkek and we're still in Bishkek for weeks because we're just back and forth, if you mind, between the Nareen and the, the call. I would, I, would, I would have to go once and so often back into the mountains to, to discuss this and that. And uh, so the trip ended more around being in the mountains and in and the capital doing actually a lot of politics because uh, in the midst, you wouldn't believe it, uh, Lisa, in the midst of, of my, of my travail, suddenly the government changed. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Japarov, the president, uh, the acting president, decided to, to, change the, um, to change his cabinet. So uh, the Ministry of Culture I was discussing previously uh, had been replaced by a new one. So uh, I, had to, I had to sit with all of the, the new uh, administration and walk them through my work for at least 10 days. Uh, inside the city before I went to Istanbul. This podcast is very much about life stories through travel. And I think you have a, an in, incredible life story, not just the the, the contemporary uh, stuff we're talking about right now, but actually your childhood. So you were born in, in Tehran in 1973. And of course, not long after that uh, was the Islamic revolution. So what was your life like growing up and what did that mean to you? Well, you have to uh, picture that um, we had to leave a family home uh, in a beautiful area of Tehran called Fereshte, in the heights of Tehran, uh, to never be back. Uh, we were just sent out on a holiday to Rome, and that holiday never ended. So that's 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 the way I remember. I have I have the collections leaving. I, I was I was four years old, so. I always say that there's a Fellinian part to it, a reconstructive memorial process, where I don't know if some of the memories are actually uh, pictures I've seen or what I've really seen, but I, I still remember saying goodbye to my, uh, to my nanny on the tarmac and, and going up into this Pan Am flight for Rome. And uh, that was one of the last flights out the city before it was taken by the Ayatollah. So that was like something that's been like emotionally very 
you know, uh, present in, uh, in my life, uh, that, uh, that displacement. Uh, but um, after that, we, we landed in Paris, where I, I grew up, where my parents divorced in the middle of, of this horrendous, uh, what I, my personally, I personally like to call the post-revolution angry seas. Uh, that, 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 you know, brought us to different shores. I mean, I got separated by my parents and put in boarding school in the North France Catholic boarding school, uh, tutored by my grandparents um, until I was 18, 19 after that. But uh, I grew up with also having the chance to have uh, my father living in Marrakesh and uh, my father being a very big traveler. He's, 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 taught, he's taught me everything about traveling since childhood. My father used to be um, a hunter when he was, uh, he was a kid, uh, when he was still, how to say, moral to do it, as he puts it. Then he gave up hunting and went into trekking. So very fast, when I was 16, 17, uh, he acquired a houseboat in Srinagar in Kashmir. And we would go, uh, we would go trekking the Himalayas and, and stay on his houseboat there. So I grew up, you know. But that sense of, of trekking and my father would trek basically the way you would trek 2000 years ago. We wouldn't have anything else than mules and we would eat with our hands and, you know, and, and, and travel with the, in the nomadic old sense of the, of the idea. So I, I really I even have this anecdote where I remember being so hungry that I, I got some money out of my own pocket and, and, and went towards Nomad with one of our guys and, and bought a mutton for myself, a live one. And we, we had to. We had to execute it at night and, and, and feast on it like what we would do thousands of years ago. So it's something that my father always taught me. You were talking about reconnection. I think traveling is like got, it's got a lot to do with the idea of connection. And, and, and I think that a lot of my work also got to do with the sense of displacement and reconnection through traveling. And uh, so, yeah, I was saying I did Catholic boarding school, North France, uh, that was much illuminated, I would say, by the trip of my father, that then moved to Morocco, and we st- continued doing these treks into the Sahara, where we even got lost one time. We actually really thought we would, we would die. Uh, our guide lost us in the middle of the dunes and got to sleep in the middle of the dunes for a whole night uh, without knowing where our camp was. That was one of the stories also of the travels. And my father basically read the, read the, read the stars and, and brought us home. So how on earth had he been taught to that? Was that something handed down through the generations? Well, yes, um, as um, I wanted to also underline, obviously, uh, the project, Gates of Turan project is is linked to uh, also our tribe, which is called the Qajar tribe. It's an old tribe that has Turkic descent and that that goes back right up to the 1400s when Tamerlan and the second wave of the Mongol invasions happened, where you had... uh, um, a, a part of the a part of the of the hordes that went down into into Turkey, the other into Persia, and uh, we are not part of the hordes. We were actually like escaping the hordes. We're we're a, a sub tribe that entered Persia in the 1400s and uh, and rapidly went into into the great the army and, and and to the throne actually in a family in uh, in the 1700s. And uh, so we have old nomadic. And I always say, well, uh, my tribe has always been on the move. Has always been, you know, we when when the people say, oh, which part of Persia, for instance, are you? Well, obviously, we're mostly from the north. We say Tabriz, but we never can pinpoint where our homeland is because we've been on the move continuously. So, uh, traveling is in is in the DNA of my tribe, of my of my family. And my father, of those, was more of, of the radical sides, where he always was also uh, a bit of a mystic, a bit of a Sufi, somehow a hippie in the 60s, 
And uh, he had this approach that was very radical to traveling, where he thought that you had to go back to the essentials. And I, and I learned a lot from, from my father's uh, teachings, I must admit. It sounds like a very much a, a life of contrasts. On the one hand, you've got, you've escaped from the, uh, after the, the Islamic revolution, you're sent to what must be quite a, a well-to-do boarding school in France. Uh, your father has, has managed to travel and live in different places, but also, uh, so that sounds like quite a, li- a life of privilege in, in many ways, but also there you are uh, trekking and slaughtering mutton and deliberately putting yourself out there in these um, vulnerable and interesting situations. Well, yes, uh, the contrast uh, it has been always a stupendous in my life. And, and, and I actually got to love it. I think that uh, uh, to, 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 there's a radical sense of creation to make people react uh, from their everyday lives that needs some type of radicality. So I think that uh, irony, paradoxality into, into, into art and, uh, and even into lifestyle uh, creates richness richness sorry and and breadth of vision and i think that breadth of vision i'm i'm very very much close to the teachings of the tao says that it's nobility and nobility is 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 something divine and that's what the tao says i'm just citing aloud sir but uh i believe that i believe that uh it is important that the world in these times of post 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 pandemic i was i don't even want to say post pandemic i I mean we're just we're in we're just right now in glasgow talking about the cop the cope i don't know it's 26 i think yeah and uh and and obviously i say well uh, it is good to reconnect but you got to reconnect uh in in a a soulful way too i call it ecology of soul you gotta yeah this has to be a planetary ecology but you also have to go through something where you reconnect on the inside and i think that some as I said earlier, messages coming from archaic tribes or, or books like the Tao uh, are, are very interesting because they, they help you understanding that, uh, that, you know, there, that there must be a concentration on, on a process of reconnection that has to come from a personal standpoint, not only on a financial, economical or a political one. So that's my position as an artist, too. And, and, it, it, and it actually is a, a, a result of a life of hard contrasts. I mean, I studied architecture. My grandfather was, uh, was, was a grant, grant architect. He was a Shah's architect uh, in Iran that made us for a, for a, for a truthful ex- escape because uh, he would have been executed if we stayed like, what, 10 days more. And uh, so... I studied architecture, but quit. I, I, I then diverted into art school, and uh, and from art school, I dropped into a, into an indie rock band. Eight or nine years, I was I was I was into the alternative rock scene in France. Tell and, me a little bit about that. That sounds interesting. Well, we toured a lot. Uh, I mean, uh, nationally, we signed. I mean, I mean, the, the, I mean, I was studying. Um, I was studying. Uh, um, art in a, in a graphic way. And a lot of people in there were into films. So I started shooting eight millimeter avant-garde films, black and white, uh, that were, that were very experimental. And uh, we would basically, most of these people were musicians and I've always played guitar. My mother got me my first Spanish guitar when I was 14 in South of Spain. And, and I've always like, I was into Dylan and, and into Leonard Cohen and Donovan and, and all of the, all the folkies. And, uh, and basically, I had, I had written a lot of poems along the way to that stash. So all this just came out the same moment when I met these guys and we started jamming. And, and, and before we knew, uh, we, we were signing on a on very, very, very cool uh, indie, indie, indie record label that brought us to London. And 
one of our, my finest memories is opening for a band called Interpol from New York, which was a, one, of the, one of the good bands in New York on the rock revival in the, in the 2003, four, fives, opening for them in a Notting, at the Notting Hill Arts Club. And the, the Depeche Mode's producer, a guy called Dimitri Tikova, just approached us after the gig and said, hey guys, I want to produce the album. And we did it at his London studio in Notting Hill called Bedroom Studios. And so great, great trips also linked to travel and touring and uh, and experiences uh, on the alternative uh, rock scene made me also stronger on uh, on, the, on the breadth of, of you know there's something that's uh, that I must obviously say to anybody that wants to get into the artistic career obviously it's it's a lifetime thing and uh, and it's also a conversation you have yourself that that can go from a one type of expression to the other but obviously I I, I believe that the that the, the, the strongest point that, that, that is there is to travel on a, on, on, on a long-term basis. It's, it's, it's a very long-term um, decision. The, the process of maturation through, uh, through, through, through the years and different expressions brings you to always better yourself. So this is something that I believe uh, very deeply. After that, I mean, that, that adventure into, into, into indie rock didn't last at the time it lasted. And, uh, and my art took over quite rapidly. Um, as because of crisis also i don't know if you if you followed but i guess everybody did that uh the music industry really had a lot of trouble sustaining its indie acts and um so into a 208 209 very most of most of the record labels went down and uh we we stayed we we had a couple of sponsors but very fast all my life uh, my art was always something that um that resurfaced whenever i was uh I was in need of it, and uh, and that's where um, contemporary art, um, through the form of also um, getting married with Camilla, that uh, that was uh, working for uh, Nicolas Gisquier at Balenciaga, that has a very forward uh, contemporary vision of of, of fashion. Um, meeting her and and and, and getting married uh, and moving to south of Spain and uh, in the south of Spain, just across from Africa in Tarifa, that's a little. That's a little village that uh, that is a UNESCO protected protected site, which kept it completely untouched by uh, modernization. Just is situated in a physical way, Lisa, 14 kilometers off uh, the shores of, of Africa and Tangier. So you wake up in the morning and and, and see Africa there, and and I was super super happy to go and live there. So we moved there in 2012, and I opened uh, a warehouse atelier workshop there that uh, really put me seriously to work on a multidisciplinary approach of contemporary art because today my exhibitions as hopefully you'll see uh, mix uh, physical uh, immaterial such as music and video art as much as uh, as I think uh, one serves the other. So many artists and musicians and creative people um, work tirelessly in their fields and they, they they still don't have you know as much success as you had and you've just done incredibly well you've exhibited all over the world I'm just reading a little bit now Paris uh, Hamburg New York Dubai Monte Carlo Los Angeles Marrakesh Tehran um, all, all over and, and including the south of Spain which is where my connection comes with you actually because I all my childhood holidays were in Tarifa and I grew up on the Costa del Sol in Malaga wow. And it smacks of a lot of bravery as well um, to to go and set up in these places. You know, is what scares you? Is there anything that scares you? I guess since I took on meditation uh, only a year ago, uh, I, I tend to understand that maybe I was scared of being uh, for a long time. I was scared of uh, of, 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 of uh, solitude. Uh, 
and, uh, and also in the sense of uh, non-activity, in the sense of, uh, of maybe having to uh, deal with, with the idea of loss, um, that's, uh, that's a common vortex in my family. We're all like this. We're very hyperactive. Obviously, it's got to do with the fact that, you know, uh, we, uh, our family is, uh, is a very well established family from Iran and, uh, and that country uh, has been, I don't know, um, interweaved into the identity of, of, of our beings. Uh, and that being taken away from us maybe has created something that we don't want to maybe look at, you know, face value in the mirror. Um, so obviously, uh, that's maybe uh, what what scared me the most, but I, I think, and maybe it explains also this uh, never-ending <laughs> forward-going dynamic, right? Um, but um, I, I believe that time and uh, with self-management, uh, you know, um, you get to know yourself better and manage better your energy. So yeah, that would be the, maybe what would maybe scare me maybe the most would be would be maybe the the loss of conversation with myself. And that's uh, something I'm, I'm, I'm nurturing all the time. I'm trying to keep the, the, the curiosity at a high level open. I, I, I try to, to, to be open to, uh, to other cultures, uh, to uh, literature, uh, keep an, uh, an ear to the ground on, on, on different artistic movements. And that has led me, and that's something that's also going to very well link to what I'm doing right now in room 304 uh, in the Athens Palace Athena um, in Athens. That's one of the big lessons that we taught uh, ourselves from the pandemic. We could completely decentralize our report to the art world. And we created, obviously, uh, a very positive uh, and constructive website and, and starting developing more uh, online sales. So we started traveling in the sense of, of, the, of the online. And, and, and I got myself the Oculus Quest a headset from Facebook, started working in the metaverse with shows in the metaverse and having clients traveling from anywhere in the world to see my shows in a decentralized way. So we realized, hey, uh, we could actually uh, think about, um, you know, keeping the gallery in Spain, but, you know, uh, moving to somewhere else. And uh, in, our, in our trips, actually, uh, in the last year, uh, since uh, things have eased down a bit, uh, we came across Athens. And, uh, and it's incredible to, to spot. Uh, the potential here. State of the city uh, is resembles something like uh, like Berlin after the fall of the wall or something. You know, there is there is an incredible array of real estate here that could be transformed into beautiful ideas. And uh, and I have a lot of people coming from the U.S., coming from France, coming from everywhere that are streaming into Athens. And with incredible ideas, you have art shows every night. You have. All of the streets are covered with street art. You don't have a wall or one building that's not covered by this post-anarchist uh, rebellion that happened a couple of years ago. And it's very impressive. And um, Camilla decided, uh, I fell in love, and uh, we decided to, uh, as the Venice Biennale is going to open next year, uh, to open uh, the Nouvelle Vague uh, Art Spaces Gallery that we have in Marbella, but in Athens. So this is, this is going to be our, our next big traveling slash professional project well i look forward i look forward very much to uh to seeing more of your work where can we find you you can find me uh obviously uh in a stable uh way in the south of spain because uh, <laughs> we're we're based uh, still uh so we will we're in, in soto grande where we have our gallery uh the we are the nomads agency and foundation is based in south of spain also so you can find me there obviously uh 
my, on, on, our, on our website, on nouvellebyvartspaces.com, where uh, you, you have my wife's curatorial uh, developments. And if you want to follow um, the trip that uh, I just um, have to say outlined uh, into Kyrgyzstan and towards uh, my presentation at the Venice Biennale at the Kyrgyz Pavilion, I have a dedicated website uh, to that project called uh, Gates of Turan. Uh, with a you amazing i'm going to ask you my last question now my last question is always about music and if i had to ask you to choose one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel what is that song and what is the memory wow i will definitely choose uh, a sunset on dull lake in srinagar kashmir uh when i'm 18 19 on the rooftop of my father's houseboat, uh, with the sunset coming behind the Mongol room, as you might. And you have to know that uh, Dull Lake is made of, 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 of lilies. So you have all these lilies and, and, and you don't have electric boats. So you have these shikaras that are rolling slowly past like that. And my father uh, had a beautiful version of, uh, of Joan Bez um, covering uh, uh, sad Eyed Lady from the Lowlands. Uh, that uh, that's I think one of the best Bob Dylan songs ever written. And uh, and I would it's it's an eight minute piece. And uh, I would advise anybody that's traveling uh, in a beautiful part in the world uh, to put that on sunset and uh, and to lay back. That's wonderful. Great juxtaposition, Kashmir Lake and Bob Dylan. I absolutely like that. Juxtaposition, yes, but yet, as you said, go would go together very nicely. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Uh, well, thank you everyone for, uh, for this time. Uh, I hope that um, it, has, it has made you trip. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. I really appreciate every single one of you. We'll be back very soon with more wonderful guests for you. 